Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, Total Rewind Edition. It's Dustin, here with Christian. How you doing, man? I'm good, dude. How are you? Well, as has been the case for the last few episodes, well, really all the episodes, I am really excited. But this episode (laughs) specifically, because for Total Rewind, we are actually going to be discussing one of my all-time favorite movies. So... Take that for what you will. We'll announce the movie in a second, but I'm really <laughs> pumped. I'm glad um, this one's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I know uh, we ended up getting some pretty decent feedback on The Big Sleep, which was a lot of fun. That episode was great. And I know you and I had a long discussion about film noirs and that whole genre and kind of getting into, you know, some movies that people might want to check out. And I hope everyone enjoyed that episode. I did. I hope you did, too. Uh, it was definitely a cool movie. This week, it's obviously something that most people should have seen uh, if they like movies. And I think most people have seen it, except maybe our friend Sean Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he hasn't seen this film, but whatever. Um, real quick, before we jump into the movie, though, I did just want to give a big shout out to all the people who have followed along on social media, joining you know the Filmmakers Compass community. We really appreciate it. And that number has jumped, so it's pretty exciting. I hope uh, some other people will be getting their first listen of the podcast and checking it out. And if you have any feedback, comments, or you just want to say, hey, be sure to uh, comment or shoot us a direct message, whatever you want, and we'll be sure to get back to you. So, all right, Christian, I'm going to throw it over to you here. If you want to go ahead and introduce the movie we're going to be discussing on this oh, so week's much. Total Rewind. So much pressure after the buildup that you made for this movie. This week, we are going to be talking about the science fiction classic Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yes! 1991. Movie's amazing. One of the best sci-fi films ever made. Obviously, it's It's revolutionary. It's probably also one of the best chase films ever made. Oh, seriously. That's, oh, it's amazing. You know, obviously we'll talk about it later, what this movie did in terms of special effects. A great film. If you call yourself a filmmaker, if you just call yourself someone who casually watches movies and you haven't seen it, just like stop now, get on Vudu, buy it because you're going to want to own it and resume the podcast after you spent two hours in just like James Cameron's vision of the future. Yeah, it really is, you know, a great film. And it's directed by, like you mentioned, James Cameron, written by James Cameron. Or I don't know, did he do the screenplay or was it just his story idea? He he wrote, uh, co-wrote the screen, screenplay. Okay, gotcha. And starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger in probably his most famous role as the, you know, T, is it T-800? Yes. And Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor again, reprising her role from Terminator 1. Robert Patrick as the T-1000 and Edward Furlong as John Connor. So, Hopefully everybody listening right now has seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And just a little story recap. I mean, essentially it follows the formula kind of of Terminator 1, which is future John Connor sends a Terminator back in time. Um, In this case, he sends back a protector to protect his younger self. And the future Skynet sends back its own Terminator, the T-1000, to kill John Connor. And in essence, that is the entire dynamic of the film. Uh, Both Terminators arrive pretty close to each other, and they're both seeking out John. And then, 
you know, the movie basically goes through set and action pieces as this giant chase scene unfolds across Los Angeles. As these two Terminators fight it out. So the movie is, of course, groundbreaking for its special effects. And now it's revered often for its practical effects as well. Yeah, it's actually insane. And there's a great short documentary on the making of Terminator 2. Oh, I'm going to watch that. It is called um, No Fate But What We Make, Terminator 2 and the Rise of Digital Effects. It was created is that in what's carved into the, the picnic table? Uh, yes, it's a play on that. that. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's from the movie. Um, and it's really amazing because essentially James Cameron and all the guys from, from ILM got together and they sort of recounted the experience of making this movie and really pushing the limits and it's phenomenal. And I assume we'll come back to this later word, uh, later on. But in a lot of cases, when we look back on the history of cinema, we would not have CGI effects in films were it not for Terminator 2. Yeah, for sure. And what's fascinating, too, is, like I said, there's this reverence for the effects from like early 90s films where they're doing this really, really difficult work of blending CGI with practical effects, which today, uh, you know, mostly in favor of, you know, cutting costs and ease of use, we tend to just do almost everything in CGI, right? Like, you know, you think Marvel tends to be a good example, Star Wars, any big, you know, epic adventures often they just set them you know on green screen sets and they're like we'll just we'll get that all taken care of later you know and it's weird because you watch terminator 2 and some of the things i picked up on watching it this time is like even at you know the opening scene where he ends up at that bar and he's getting you know his outfit and the motorcycle and all that he throws like a guy through the front window and like it just looks like they threw a guy through glass like you know, if there wasn't anything more to it than some stunt guy's going to have to fucking be thrown through a wall. And those effects, you know, it's weird, but they kind of hold up in a way that makes that doesn't make it feel dated because there's, you know, there's effects and even like characters. Now, you know, we have Robert De Niro in The Irishman being de-aged. Yeah. Um, they've done that to Robert Downey Jr. in Marvel or even someone like Thanos in The Avengers is a character where, you know, right now he looks fine, but how do you think he'll hold up in like 20 years? Well, I think you bring up a good point. Um, And almost the over-reliance on CGI has made it kind of a, uh, as audiences, I think we're a lot more forgiving than we used to be. Uh, In the documentary, Cameron talks about how The Abyss was really the first movie to incorporate CGI effects, right? When they did the, the water alien monster. And he said we could take the chance because, you know, the whole movie wasn't built on this. So if we blew it, we'd just find another way to make it. Going into Terminator, he took the success of that and they kind of scratched their heads and they said, "Okay, how can we make this and make this work good? And believe it or not, there's only about 47 CGI shots. Wow, that's it. I mean, because obviously for, for what it's known for, you would think it's more. And and part of it is Cameron said, you know, we had to rely on all these other things, you know, puppets, models, makeup, the traditional way of doing it so that the CGI could kind of be blended in. Um, huh. 
the other thing that I found out is they actually, because the CGI shots were going to be so expensive and so intensive as they were, you know, kind of building or, or really rebuilding CGI, you know, because they had had the 80s Tron, you know, where it was really low budget and and it didn't look practical and real. Right. For so what it's as, worth with Tron, I mean, there's a nostalgia effect, but I mean, it doesn't hold up that well. Right. And so Cameron, he, he knew that if he was going to make something that he wanted to make, he had to find a way to blend the, the digital effects and the practical effects. And in doing that, they actually had to decide how to light and how to sculpt everything before they shot anything with actors. They shot those specific scenes to give the CGI guys enough time to completely render and build out those effects and then they just slice them in around everything else that he'd shot in the editing process but they yeah, had like to start scene... that before they filmed the movie which is obviously not how they do cgi now typically yeah like a scene that really stands out is when um the security guards getting coffee at the mental facility yeah and the t-1000 kind of walks up well when you actually look at that scene um they're in this kind of like dingy lit hallway it's not this like super bright so there's shadows there's all this stuff going on i would imagine that would be incredibly challenging especially back in the late 80s early 90s to try to get something that looks right in an environment like that no it's insane and then i thought another interesting thing that uh, i learned from watching the doc about the making of terminator 2 was apparently after terminator 2 right as fans we look at it and just see it as this game changer but for the film industry itself, I guess a lot of people in Hollywood were like, didn't really understand still how to incorporate CGI into cinema, right? They're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Like, so you can make a guy that changes shape. Um, really, once Spielberg and the ILM guys kind of took a look at what they did in Terminator 2, applied it to Jurassic Park, could the industry then say, okay, so like, you can make dinosaurs, you can make people, you can make animals, like you can do all these different things that they couldn't really imagine from T2 just because it was so kind of off the wall in terms of concept. Yeah, that's weird in, when you put it like that in the sense of, you know, it's like me coming out with like a filter effect and the industry responding by being like, oh, OK, so we have one filter effect. And you're like, you're not grasping that we can create like endless filters. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. You know, you're, you guys are all like, oh, so every time we use this, we have to use the same one. You're like, no, not at all. That's the beauty of this whole process. It's a lot of work, sure. But you can see how there's so many, you know, possibilities. And I don't know, it's just kind of strange that it took, you know, well, I guess Spielberg makes sense in a way. Jurassic Park being the biggest movie of all time when it released and then Spielberg's industry influence. But I mean, still. It's weird because, yeah, you see the effects, even though, like you said, it's 47 shots in Terminator 2, you know, you see the effects and just the possibility of everything that you could do. I mean, it, I do. Yeah. And I mean, and as you said, you know, it's 30 years later and we're watching this movie and it holds up immaculately. Oh, it looks amazing. And which, I, mean, we... I don't even know if that can be said quite the same as Terminator 1, which some of the effect shots in that, you know, they did a lot of like stop motion and they, you know, yeah. uh, models. It does not quite hold up in every shot the same way Terminator 2 does. Because Terminator 2, I can't, even just having watched it again for this, 
I can't really think of anything that stood out to me as like, oh, that did not age well. Well, you have to remember, at the time it was made, Terminator 2 was the most expensive film ever produced. Damn. Um, also, as you know, we've read, Terminator 2 was the movie James Cameron wanted to make when he made Terminator 1. He just knew there was no way giving effects at the time he could make it. So he had to spend an extra 10 years sort of perfecting, you know, these filmmaking effects. Isn't it weird, too, when you consider the fact that there have been so many sequels and even like a television show and all this in this kind of Terminator world? And T2 is still by far. I mean, I don't even think it's close. You know, at least one and two specifically, I mean, are just considered these masterpieces. And the rest of it is kind of like, man, they just can't figure it out. No. And I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say, which isn't much of a limb because other people have joined me. I think Terminator 2 is far superior to Terminator 1. I know on Rotten Tomatoes it isn't as good in terms of reviews, but I, I think it's tough to beat. Terminator I do. 2. I am going to disagree with you a little bit. Like I watched Terminator one and I really love the movie. Obviously there's a, an entirely different um, style and feel. It's, it's a different feel. It feels very eighties. Obviously they go to like tech noir when they're downtown. It's more LA, of like a it's horror like this, movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like this grimy, dirty city. And then that one has, you know, a little bit of like a love story and some different elements to it, even though, I mean, it follows the same. The story beats are somewhat similar. Yeah. Um, I really do like Terminator 1, though. And I <laughs> love the score. Love so, the <laughs> I mean, I can't knock that either. So I, there's so much from one to love as well. But we're not we're not doing Total Rewind Terminator. We're doing Total Rewind, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. So, And what another great thing about Terminator 2 is, if you've never seen Terminator 1, you don't need to. Because yeah, the story true. within 2 is really solely, you know, completely contained. So don't go rent one, just rent the second one and watch it. Can we acknowledge, though, that James Cameron does do an excellent job, though, if you have seen one, of incorporating a lot of different elements from one into the story of 2? Oh, absolutely. Like, you don't have to have seen it. Terminator 2 works solely on its own. But if you're a fan of the original, there's enough there, uh, you know, enough nods to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, Terminator 1 exists. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, if you want to go ahead and jump into our lists on this week's show, we'll go ahead and kick it off. We're going to do top three quotes. So, CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This movie has so many iconic lines. Uh, in film in general the first one i'm going to go with actually isn't one of those iconic lines however it's from the middle (laughs) of of the movie it's with john connors it's where they are at the cyberdyne building uh and the police show up and john walks in and tells everybody he says that the police are here and uh sarah connors asks how many and he says all of them i think um and that's just a great nod (laughs) and, and, and you know a little humorous line to really show the what they're up against um, and how they're and, and as an audience, we're really wondering how on earth they're going to get out of this situation. Um, it is an intense scene. Cameron does a great job of, of he always kind of lightens the tension a little bit with some of these really um, these lines that have a have a bit of humor and wit and sarcasm to them. And it's just another good example of that. Yeah, for sure. My second favorite line from the movie is when the Terminator and John are in the car and John is trying to teach him how to behave more human-like. Right. And John tells him, 
that he should answer questions using the word no problemo. <laughs> and at the yeah. end of the conversation, Arnold delivers it in that Arnold fashion where he's like, no problemo. Um, and it's great because actually in that small scene, we see that the Terminator has learned from John and is now applying these new rules that John's teaching him right back in practical situations. So uh, it's a good good sense of character, and it's, and it's a great quotable line that we've all heard many, many times. And obviously, number one comes from the end of the movie where, again, the Terminator is regurgitating what John taught him earlier in the movie and he pulls the trigger to shoot the villain and says, hasta la vista, baby. And that's that is probably the one of the most famous lines in cinema, right? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, delivered by Arnold, it just has that extra quality. Because Arnold is so quotable with his accent and, and all that. You know, you go through all of his films. And, you know, I think another one where he's like ultra quotable is like Kindergarten Cop. Mm-hmm. Yes. But he just he just delivers the the lines the exact right way, and he kills it. Totally. So, on that note, I did want to give an honorable mention to uh, the Arnold lines from the movie. You know, "Hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. Get down. Come with me if you want to live." Um, <laughs> they're all incredibly quotable, and Cameron sets up each of those lines uh, to almost have its like little space where he delivers it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they all work incredibly well. And I, I'm sure we've all heard people quote those lines in the Arnold voice, which is fantastic. <laughs> so he just kills it. And even when you're just talking about quoting Terminator 2 in general, I'm sure my wife, Steph, hated watching it with me because as we sat there, I'm literally like <laughs> reciting the script, you know, because it's so quotable. Just everything about that movie, it just feels like some, you know, there's some elegance to the line and it just works well. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, number three on my list is John talking to Arnold or uh, to the T-800. And this is when John's yelling. Uh, he's like, help, help. And these two guys come over and they're going to help John. <laughs> and the Terminator pulls out a gun and he's going to shoot one of them. And John like hits the the Terminator's hand down and he shoots the ground and those guys leave or whatever. And John's like, Jesus, you were going to shoot that guy. Or he says, Jesus, you were going to kill that guy. And then Arnold just responds, of course, I'm a Terminator, <laughs> you know, like totally in that robotic voice. And there's a great back and forth here in this scene where uh, the Terminator basically admits that John can give him directions. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because John reacts like a little kid where he's, you know, <laughs> yes, he's like, totally. so you have to do whatever I say. And he's like, yes. So he's like, stand on one leg. And the Terminator <laughs> does. And then John's like, yes. And like, that's enough for a kid to be like, I control this guy. Yeah, right. Which is true. But it's just funny because you just see that kind of innocence of, you know, he's not worried that this guy just admitted to being a Terminator and he's going to kill people and all this stuff. But he's like, oh, cool. I can make him stand on one leg. <laughs> so number two on my list again john talking to the t-800 he says we're not going to make it humans i mean and then the terminator responds it's in your nature to destroy yourselves and i really like what they're getting at with this quote in terms of the bigger picture right the villains in the film are robots you know whether it's the original terminator the t-1000 skynet you know artificial intelligence it's mm -hmm. these 
robotic features are what humanity is up against, but it's created by us, right? Yeah. We are the ones that, whether it's for, you know, we built it for our own protection or whatever motive you have, um, often, you know, we create the things of our own demise. And it brings a lot of humanity to the story when you're fighting robots and you start to realize that it's like, hey, um, for everything we can try to do, uh, there'll always be another thing because we'll create it ourselves. No, you're right. And Cameron revisits that uh, kind of theme through the movie constantly, whether it's through the dialogue or the action between the characters um the flashbacks and the flash forwards so i think you're right um and it's a good line to kind of really land on that theme that is is throughout the entire movie and my number one uh is at the very end after they've destroyed the t-1000 in the lava the terminator hops on to the 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 uh chain and he's gonna have sarah connor or john i forget who he hands it to uh lower him into the lava and John's begging him not to go. And he starts crying. He's like, you don't have to go. And he's like, I do. That's the end of the mission, right? That's the whole point is I can't stay around. Otherwise, people will use me for nefarious reasons. And John's crying and the Terminator uses his thumb and wipes a tear off his face. And he says, I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. Mm-hmm. And I love that line in the moment. So I think it's very poignant, right? John uh, and the Terminator had 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 a conversation about crying. So it's a callback to that conversation. And it's a little comforting to John. And the Terminator gets this great send off where he like gives the thumbs up and it has the epic Terminator 2 theme music and he goes into the lava. But that quote stands out to me because, again, it's expressing the humanity of hope. So where my previous quote, John's saying, we're not going to make it and we destroy ourselves. Here, the Terminator's saying being human is what makes you special. Yeah. Don't ever lose that. That's what's that's why I'm here to save you. And it's why I can't stay. Yeah. And I love that quote. Love it. Yeah, that's a good one. And again, it, it's going back to that theme that Cameron, you know, the underlying theme of the movie. So. And I, I mean, it's almost sad that like you and I can only list six quotes from Terminator 2 <laughs> because it's so quotable. You know, there's just all these instances throughout, you know, there's the Wolfie quote with the dog. And, you know, there's so many Sarah Connor quotes, which are amazing. And she didn't even make the list. So, <laughs> yeah, right. If you go watch Terminator 2, uh, just sit back, enjoy and take in all the quotes because there's so many. Okay, well, let's jump into our next list, which is going to be top three scenes. And I'll go ahead and kick this one off. Uh, Number three on my list is the opening montage of the future. And this is where Sarah Connor kind of uh, does her voiceover. She's talking a little Mm. bit about, um, you know, kind of what's to come. And then the music will kick in and they're going to go into the the intro, you know, uh, credits and, and title and all that. But at the very beginning of the movie as is the case in, I think, Terminator 1, they they do future scenes, and they were pretty good as well. But they set up this bleak, bleak version of the future. Um, you get there, everything's grayed out, it's night, there's skulls all over the Everywhere. ground. <laughs> and there's that famous shot of, at the very beginning, the Terminator, like, steps and cracks a skull, and then yeah. they just start, like, laser blasting these purple lasers, and all this stuff comes in. And 
they just do such a good job in that scene of setting up this bleak future that it's like I, as the viewer, want no part in. It just yeah, right. looks horrible. I'm like that. I do not want that future to pass in real life. <laughs> and they don't ever revisit the future in Terminator 2, where I think in Terminator 1, there's a flashback where they do go there again. But it's enough in this opening montage to just set the scene and be like, hey, that is not where you want to be. Yeah. Number two on my list for top scenes is the Mile Dyson scenes. And us, more specifically, where Sarah Connor wants to go kill him at his own mm. home. Yeah. So she, you know, they're in Mexico and, and everybody loads up on guns and all this stuff. And she disappears and ends up at his house shooting him from the outside with like an automatic rifle. And obviously this would be incredibly scary. And James Cameron shoots it amazing. But finally, the Terminator and John show up and everything calms down and they have a second to sit around the table and kind of explain what the hell's going on. Why did this person come here shooting me? And there's so many iconic things that happen here where the Terminator like cuts off his skin on his hand and shows him that he's a robot. And it also gets to a point where Miles Dyson almost kind of gets it. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to die, but like I kind of get why you're here. Like, yeah. that's crazy. And he does such a good job of revealing the stakes for, you know, the final mission, which is to break into Cyberdyne and go destroy their work. And once you realize that that's where it's going, and then, of course, the destruction of the Terminators, um, the stakes are as high as ever. And it's a great scene. Yeah, no, dude. And it's a major and, one in terms of story and character, too. Right. It does reveal. And then finally, like Sarah actually kind of has a little bit of a breakdown, kind of comes back to reality and is like, oh, my God, I almost killed this guy. In his yeah, family. we see she's not this invulnerable soldier that she wants to be. And we see John have to take the, you know, take more of a leadership role and, and develop into this guy who he's supposed to be in the future. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. Yep. All around. And number one for me uh, is actually the Terminator arriving to save Sarah Connor at the mental facility. Now, this is where the Terminator, uh, Sarah Connor, essentially is trying to break out of the mental facility, unaware of the events that are fully transpiring uh, outside of that place. And she gets all the way down the hall. You know, she's basically going to escape and the elevator door opens and Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator walks out. Well, if you've seen Terminator 1, this is an inversion of expectations where... Sarah Connor is entirely frightened because in Terminator 1, Arnold plays, well, a Terminator, but it's the villain. Mm-hmm. And so she's spent, you know, all this time since then um, trying to prevent the events of Judgment Day, but also fearful of this Terminator. And here he is in, you know, well, in the flesh, in quotes, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, he's walking toward her. And the inversion is he, he holds out his hand and he's like, come with me if you want to live. And now he's kind of the, you know, protector. And it takes a long time for Sarah to trust him. But it really is a great scene because everything about Terminator 1 and 2 culminates right there. You have all the main characters. You have callbacks to Terminator 1. You have Terminator 2 going on. John runs out. It's just fantastic. I love that. And, and this is also when the, the main characters encounter the t-1000 for the first time and uh, we get our face first, to face yeah uh w- well with uh you know with sarah being there 
So yeah. it's a it's a great great scene. Cool. All right, let's hear your list. Top three scenes. Um, number three for me is not what you would expect. It is the scene between John and the Terminator when they are uh, driving in the uh, station wagon, and and John is teaching the Terminator how to talk. Um, nice. And again, I think one of the criticisms that people could have of the the Terminator character in the first Terminator is that he's a mindless robot, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have any personality. And here we start to see that this character can learn and can change and can evolve. And that's important for the actions that he takes later in the movie. But that's also important for this character is developing and John takes a role in shaping how this character behaves. And I just think it's a really good scene. Also, it's kind of sandwiched between some of the most intense action sequences in the movie. Um, So as an audience, we get kind of this nice little rest where you know um yeah, you get arnold's a breather in, you know arnold delivers these lines that that you can't help but chuckle at and i also think it's a good depiction of what it would be like a teenage kid in, or preteen kid in the 90s hanging out with a socially awkward robot from the future <laughs> that is a great premise <laughs> um my second favorite scene in the movie is actually the introduction of the terminator at the beginning of the movie when he walks into the bar, the biker bar with all these, you know, tough bikers and they're all shooting oh, pool and drinking. And he walks up to to the big bad dude in the middle and he's all, I need your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle. And I just think that that, is, you know, if you're going to introduce this badass character known as the Terminator, that is the way to do it. Well, and it's still funny because I, I even thought about it like I was singing along, but they end up when he rides off on the motorcycle, they play like bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. <laughs> and it's weird because you would think that would feel dated or almost even a tad cheesy, but like they just make it work. It just works. Yeah. It's so I, I always love that scene. And then my favorite is in the, when they're in the Cyberdyne building, they're planning to blow it up. The police have arrived and everyone's getting frantic and uh, Arnold looks at him and he says that he'll take care of the problem. And he turns and he says, trust me. And he goes out there to deal with the police. And essentially, he shoots out the second story window and just unloads his minigun and grenades all over the police cars. And I'm like, you know what? If you're a kid with a giant robot, I'm glad that Cameron put in the scene where we have this indestructible robot fighting for the good guys. Um, Because in Terminator 1, we experience how powerful and unstoppable this guy is. And in Terminator 2, while he's really only defending the main characters from the T-1000, finally at this scene, we get to see, like, it's it's almost Cameron having a little fun. Like, if you had a giant robot that was unstoppable, I mean, go send him out there to do some unstoppable stuff and blow things up. Fantastic. Good list, because all those scenes are great. Well, our next list is going to be top three action sequences, which are still scenes, but a little bit more specific to action. And I'll go ahead and kick off this list. And number three for me is actually the Cyberdyne shootout. So just to uh, piggyback on what you were just saying, it's action-packed, you know, there's so many cops. And really the Terminator is, like you said, he's in his element. He's in his unstoppable position where it's like, they're they're not going to stop him. Mm-hmm. And as far as action goes, I mean, it's amazing. 
Number two for me is actually the mall fight at the beginning where oh, both Terminators are kind of converging on John. And there's a lot here to love. But one of the things that I really like about the mall fight is the use of like throwing people into walls. <laughs> um, yeah. It kind of adds to the, the weight of these being robots. So it yeah. makes it it makes it feel more like they're just kind of casually like throwing each other through walls into walls. And even though like they do the same thing with guns where they both shoot each other like 10 times and they both kind of just like whatever walk yeah. away. And exactly. it really just shows the audience what you're up against that mere guns aren't going to stop these guys. Um, the normal rules of a fight scene yep. aren't going to stop these yep. guys. Um, it's going to have to be something else, which, you know, like we said, you find out later how they're able to do it, but it just show it just sets everything up. And obviously that leads to another great action sequence, which I won't mention, but one of the final ones that I thought was great was the helicopter scene when they're on the freeway. Good scene. Well, and one of the reasons why I like that scene is as an action sequence, I'm not even 100% sure how they filmed it. Because um, <laughs> we were talking about special effects earlier and, and different things. And I'm like, man, I mean, being able to to film this helicopter scene is, is quite incredible. And it looks good. Oh, totally. It's awesome. And they do a good job, too, of like, you know, obviously when you're doing these effects, you think back to like uh, when the T-Rex comes out in Jurassic Park. They set it at night because it kind of gives you a little cover uh, for those effects so you can darken things and you don't get as sharp of lines and all that that stuff. But, yeah, I thought it looked great. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's been replicated in Terminator, but up to that point, I don't know if I've ever seen a helicopter chase scene on a freeway. No. So it was quite original. No, definitely, dude. That's a good scene. So, all right, let's hear your top three action sequences. So the number one for, or the, the number three scene for me is actually right before the helicopter chase scene that you talk about. And it's actually when the T-1000, he drives the motorcycle up the stairs in the Cyberdyne building hunting for, for uh, John and Sarah. We're kind of wondering what he's going to do. And he decides that once he sees them driving away from the Cyberdyne building, he drives his motorcycle out the window jumps onto the helicopter and then uh, hits his head through the window and climbs in. And I just thought that was cool because it's, it, I mean, I've never seen anyone drive a motorcycle into a helicopter before. <laughs> and I think that if I ever did, I would feel like they were just blatantly ripping off Terminator. Does um, he throw that other pilot out? He tells him he tells the guy to get out and the guy like voluntarily jumps out of the helicopter. <laughs> I think I would voluntarily jump out, too. I'd be like, <laughs> if this guy just rode a motorcycle out of there and got in my helicopter. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I'll break my leg. It's and it's fun. another one of those sequences where they're doing a great job of using the practical effects and the CGI effects. And it's just, you know, Arnold has a lot of those really cool moments. And so it's kind of one of those moments where they throw one over to the T-1000 and sort of make him look like a badass. Nice. Um, my second favorite scene, I'm calling it the freeway chase scene, and it's actually after the helicopter crashes and John, Sarah, and the Terminator get into the pickup truck and the T-1000 gets into the semi-truck full of liquid nitrogen and proceeds to chase them down the freeway. Oh, yeah. Um, I just think it's great because, you know, here you have Arnold hanging out of the car shooting grenades, and eventually he jumps onto the semi-truck and is... Uh, 
you know, he unloads the rifle into the T-1000 and, and flips the truck. And it's just everything you could want in a great car chase scene. There's tons of intensity. It's super suspenseful. And um, it, it's one of my, my very favorite scenes in the uh, action sequences in the movie. Uh, my very favorite one, though, is the motorcycle chase sequence through the aqueduct. Yep. And hey, question. for me, where was yeah. where was that filmed? It was in the valley. I was actually I'll actually get to that in a sec. OK. Um, and I love it because for me, that's Terminator 2. When I think about this movie, this is the sequence I think of. Um, it looks great. And I think maybe part of it is right. Uh, James Cameron was a truck driver before he became a filmmaker. Oh, that's a good so point. I assume he has some sort of connection or reverence or understanding of trucks, which is why some of these really great action sequences involve these these big rigs um but it's actually really cool so the fun fact i was going to say is when the t-1000 driving the the um tow truck drives into the aqueduct he's on Plummer street in the valley and i actually had a childhood friend who grew up living on that Plummer street in the valley so uh, i actually have spent much time right around that uh that intersection I mean, I'm not going to lie. Anytime I pass an aqueduct, I always think of that. Like, right. always. I'm like, would a, would a semi fit down there? <laughs> and, I you mean, know, like, you can't totally. help it. You're like, yep. And you just watch it. And, and you know, the fact that, uh, you know, it's got motorcycles, it's got semi trucks. Like, it's so cool. And, and there's great suspense. And Arnold, obviously, you know, as the Terminator comes through and saves the day at the, at the, at the last moment. Like, it's just a great sequence and every time i watch it i can't believe how how intense and high octane it really is yeah and it's so weird because you know you like we mentioned at the very very top of the podcast right this movie in essence is like one long chase scene and while we're talking about these action sequences they're often chase scenes right like you said they're on a freeway it's a helicopter it's them chasing john at the mall it's the semi-truck like what's fascinating is that you have to have enough variety and enough interesting things going on. And the movie does, they deliver a time and again on, you know, as far as just plot wise, the devices haven't changed. The scenarios have, but they're interesting enough that you're like, man, this is amazing. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's really hard to do. Oh, totally. Before things get repetitive and you're like, okay, I mean, how long are you guys going to chase each other? Yeah. You know, there's totally a way where each each of these sequences is is unique and different and and suspenseful and and that's a real testament to Cameron's ability as a director. Yep, fantastic. So our final list for Total Rewind this week is actually going to be top 3 special effects. So we spent time at the top of the podcast kind of discussing the impact that Terminator 2 has had on effects, both CGI and practical. And now I want to hear from you, what are your top three from a very special spe- special effects movie? Oh my gosh, there's so many good ones. Um, so actually, I have to make an honorable mention here. One of my favorite visual effects shots in this movie, it actually uh, is only in the director's cut. That's the only way that it's remained. Hmm, and I think it's a, it's a real shame that they took it out. So um, if you have the opportunity to find the director's cut, definitely check it out, see if you can find it online. Um, so there's this scene where Sarah and John, when, when they've gone to the gas station and are hiding out for the night, 
uh, Sarah and John cut into the Terminator's head and they open it up to remove the CPU. So that that's they can... only in the director's cut. Yes. So they can reset it to let him learn. Yeah, I remember that scene. And um, what's amazing about this is the way that Cameron made it. So the shot is we start out with the camera and we see in the mirror, we see the Terminator talking as they're cutting open his head. And we the camera goes around to the side by Sarah Connors and we see her reach into his head and pull out this chip. Um, and it's one continuous shot. And, and every time I watch it, I'm just blown away by how this was done. And apparently there's actually a false mirror and actually Sarah Connors played by Linda Hamilton is, is working on the dummy with the real Arnold looking at her talking. And actually what's really cool is that the mirror of of Sarah Connors is actually Linda Hamilton's twin sister. And they're just mimicking each other's movement. So it looks like this is all happening in a mirror and really it's, it's totally not. So I just think that's such a cool shot. Uh, and I think it's such a shame that it's not in the theatrical cut of the movie. Actually, I do, too, because there is a story element to that where when she takes the chip out, she, she has the opportunity has, to smash it. Right. She actually has the chance to be like, I'm just going to end this guy right now. And she chooses to I put know. it back. And, and another reason it's like it's actually important in the story. And I, I'm always so bummed that it's not in the theatrical cut. Wow. Yeah. OK, so. That's my honorable mention. Number three for me is when they are at the, the psych, uh, psychiatric hospital and the T-1000 opens the elevator doors with his hands, yeah. claw, claws, knives. And with the shotgun, the original Terminator just blows his head off and there's this massive <laughs> <laughs> splatter mark across as he's uh, and it, to which he reforms. And I think that's one of the first times that we see you know, um, in the film, them really take advantage of of how to, you know, play with this liquid metal character. And I think that's a great scene. It's a good example. Yeah. The or the the second one that I want to talk about is towards the end of the movie when the Terminator reboots under alternative power. Mm-hmm. He's been stabbed through and he's on the scaffolding and he's shut down when he repowers up from this low angle. You know, we we look at him and he's in the power position as he slowly pulls this pole out of him from underneath. Um, it's a series of shots, but it actually looks like Arnold is pulling this uh, this rod through him. Right. And again, it's it's not one of the CGI shots. It's done practically, but it looks really, really cool. It does. He literally like pulls it through his body. Yeah. And then um, I one of my favorites is when is is around that same time when sarah shoots the t-1000 through the head with the shotgun and from behind the camera shoots through and we see the hole in his head and then uh the next shot he heals it back together as we're looking through his head towards sarah connor's right that's an amazing shot and i'm just like you know again cameron i respect the fact that you know you own this shot in this movie if you're going to have a character who can you can blow holes in and he heals himself up, like, let's have some fun with it. Well, yeah, that is an awesome list and all good effects. Um, number three for me is the Terminator hand sequence with Miles Dyson. Awesome. So, a, again, practical effects. But when the Terminator, you know, he literally they have this shot where, like, he cuts around his arm 
and then rips the skin off and his hand, he's just holding his hand up and like moving the fingers and everything. It looks incredible, but you know, a lot of that effect actually works by the reaction shots. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, Cause if you linger too long on the arm, um, obviously we know that like, that's not Arnold's real arm. And so it's everybody's reaction, right? Every, you know, uh, the Dysons all absolutely freak out and they're like, oh my God, oh my God. But like John and, and Sarah and everything plays together so well to bring this effect to full fruition. And it really, really works because, I mean, in one simple gesture, I mean, they've basically confirmed everything they've told him. Yeah. And yeah. And then obviously uh, we had mentioned earlier that some of the artifacts from Terminator 1 had made their way into Terminator 2. Yep. And one of them is actually the arm of, the original of a Terminator. Terminator. Yeah. So this has double meaning because Miles sees that hand and knows that this is what this it, it's 100 percent true. So yeah. it's very well done, and the effect just works really well. Number two for me is the L.A. nuclear explosion, so actual oh. Judgment Day. And the reason why I think this works is obviously in a grand sense, right, uh, There, there's a lot of weight when the nu- you know, nuclear explosion goes off and buildings are being dusted and all this different stuff. But I think what works so well is just the people that Cameron puts in these shots – where at first they're just like playing on a playground or they're at a basketball court and they're basically just living their, their regular lives and everything turns to an orange hue as the blast radius extends. And literally some of these people you see get disintegrated into dust. Some of yeah. them, uh, Sarah Connor specifically, she's like hanging onto the fence. I mean, like her skin literally gets like melted off. Yeah. And this is very kind of, horror-esque right it's it's some horror effects yeah but it's also a dream sequence so uh the effects themselves get a little bit of leeway as that's what sarah's experiencing in her mind but i think the effect works really well because it's very frightening (laughs) you're like oh my god i would never want to be there for that that looks just horrific so Number one for me, and I know you know this effect, and it <laughs> might be one of the most famous sequences oh my gosh, uh, or totally. special effects shots from Terminator 2, and that's nitroglycerin. Oh my gosh, so cool. So the T-1000 while chasing uh, Sarah, the, the T-800, and John is driving a nitroglycerin truck, and they get to this, is it a, what is it, like a power plant or like it, a... It's like a forgery. Yeah. Like a or whatever they're, yeah. So... They, they get there and this truck tumbles sideways and the nitroglycerin just spills out everywhere. And the T-1000, as he is liquid metal, gets frozen. And the effect comes into play when they shoot this frozen body of the T-1000 and it literally like shatters like glass. And this effect looks amazing. Like just watching it yesterday, I mean, it looks fantastic and yeah all the little parts crumble to the ground and then because they're in this factory and there's like molten i don't know lava or whatever you want to call it um yeah whatever it is the metal warms up and again he turns into liquid metal and slowly kind of like pieces himself back together and eventually returns as the t-1000 and it's just an amazing amazing effect well, even before it, the part where he's walking, right, and his and his uh, legs are snapping at his ankles, and 
and his wrists. Like it just the whole sequence is really cool. And again, you just have to credit Cameron's imagination for thinking like, hey, if we have a guy that's metal, let's dump some liquid nitrogen or you know liquid nitrogen on him and totally freeze him, and that will be fun. And it, it's awesome to watch. Yeah, and the, and we know that this is like you know a CGI effect, and it just looks so good totally it's to this day i mean what'd you say 91 yeah so we're talking almost 30 years later and i'm like beautiful it looks great oh no i mean it's it's amazing and i mean and again though when you watch that entire sequence between sarah connor's the original terminator and the t-1000 in in the steel steel mill he does such a seamless job of blending these digital effects these practical effects you know makeup work that there's just a lot of great stuff and you walk away thinking oh my gosh these two robots just had this you know death match and it's amazing and i mean i guess that does it for our list for this episode's total rewind but before we uh go ahead and sign off i did just want to throw it over to you and talk a little bit about the legacy of of terminator 2 and one of the reasons why is because james cameron ended up not having the rights to the Terminator franchise after two. And he has not directed anything else in that world since Terminator two. And it shows. Oh yeah. Um, The other movies, while some of them are fine in their own right. I mean, they don't meet the standards that was set by one and two. And I was kind of wondering, uh, do you think if James Cameron returned that we could get another great Terminator? Well, uh, I don't know if you saw Terminator uh, Dark Fate. I did. And, right, he was involved in it from a kind of, like, consulting perspective. And I, I think my problem with the movie is it feels like a attempt to rehash, too. Um, I think that if Cameron had the desire to really step in and, again, think about this in terms of how can I make tell this movie that I want to tell and make this movie pushing the limits, I think he could do something great because i i have faith in james cameron as a director i don't know what do you think well it's weird because yeah dark fate to me um one of the things that actually stood out was that a lot of the action sequences i felt didn't work all that well and the reasoning behind that was they almost felt to me to be too cgi where you know you go back to something like raiders of the lost ark Mm -hmm. and it's a movie that's just chock full of practical effects but when you know he's chasing nazis through the desert and he's actually you know hanging off of a car or i think like the third indiana jones like his face is right next to the track of a a tank yeah yeah there's actual there's like this weight like we know someone's face is actually right there right yeah and i feel like some of that is lost like something that that bothers me when people are doing like action sequences is a lot of times like they'll have people fall from like just unreasonable heights where you're like, there's no way that person would ever live. Like this is like impossible. And whenever I come to that conclusion, um, it takes me out of the movie a little bit where I'm like, this is just a little bit too fantastical set in the real world. I think you're right. That's one of the things that I think Terminator two does so well is that everything feels like, that's how it would happen. 
where, you know, in Dark Fate, you know, the example I think that just stands way, way out is when they're like falling on a plane that's like blowing up and there's just like regular humans in there. And you're like, I don't know. It's very unlikely that these people would live. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, no, no, totally. When I was looking up the review for the original Terminator, right? Um, there's one in the New York Times from July 3rd, 1991 by Janet Maislin. Uh, and she starts off by poking fun at the astronomical budget, right? Because this mm-hmm. was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. But she goes on to write that, you know, surprise, Mr. Cameron has made a swift, exciting special effects epic that thoroughly justifies its expense and greatly improves upon the first film potential. Uh, you know, the first film's potential, but rudimentary visual style. Mm-hmm. Yep. He has brought in this initial idea to encompass better developed characters, a levier wit, a more ambitious, if nuttier, message. And she goes on to mention how the visual effects are cause for applause in its own right, which is true. But I think that the problem that you're getting at when you talk about Dark Fate, and, and this is where I'm going with it, is Terminator 2 is not just the visual effects. It's everything mm-hmm. else, right? There's tons of movies that, you know, when we used to go to Best Buy, you buy out of the $2 bin, right? Yeah. That are atrocious action movies full of action sequences and visual effects why are they being sold for a dollar as opposed to something like terminator which 30 years later stands up and it's because it's more than just the visual effects it's james cameron as an artist coming in and imagining the new ways to tell these stories pushing limits with the visuals but also exercising the restraint with when he does it um cameron has this great quote where he says as long as people make story and character the most important thing, you know, everything else is secondary to that and they will make great films. And I think that that's the difference. There's a lot of people who have focused on the secondary and I paraphrase there. Cameron's talking about, you know, puppets and CGI and visual effects and all these other tools that are fun for filmmakers to, you know, push the limits and, and make movies that look really flashy and pretty and sexy. Yeah, but they're not necessarily rooted in the story and character. And I think what sets Terminator 2 apart is there is a lot of character. There's a lot of story and there's major stakes that these characters are put through. So even though it's really easy for us to to point to the visual effects and to summarize this as a chase movie, it is those things. It's just a lot of other things beyond it, which are the heart and the creativity and the vision of Cameron that make this movie what it is today. Well, shoot, I think we're going to end it there. <laughs> that was uh, well said. So, I mean, then the last question is this. Does this make your list of films that, that you think everyone should watch? They want to be a filmmaker. For me, it does. Um, this one definitely does. And it stands in that, that same um, place of, like, I think like Star Wars or these other movies, right? The reason why I say yes is simply because I love the movie. (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's a lot to study, as you just mentioned, on how to essentially make an action movie that has the heart and the character and the right story and how to combine all that with those effects. And it's a masterclass at that and holds up. But more than that, like the reason I would want people to see this is I love this movie. 
it's, you know, one of guaranteed, it's one of my top 10 favorite movies. And it's just something that I think if you're, if you're a filmmaker, it's the perfect example of getting you like, after I watched this movie the other day, I was like, I want to make a movie. It just gets you your imagination going. It gets you pumped up. You're like, Oh my gosh, like, what could I do? What could I do? That's it's inspiring. Cause you start thinking about like, Hey, I mean, if this guy can just like send robots from the future and make one of the best action movies of all time, you know, you're like, I'm sure I could come up with something. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I think if nothing else, it's a movie that makes you love movies and, um, you know, how much I better think... would it be to see Terminator two on the big screen again? Oh dude, I did. I saw it a couple years ago. Oh my God. I ne- I've never seen it on the big it screen. was amazing, dude. If you get a chance, I, you got to go see it. I know. Like, and that's when you know a movie is like that good when you're like, you know what? I would pay to go see this movie that I can watch at home for free just because the experience is going to be way better. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to beat. So for you, um, you would you would recommend it as well? I absolutely would. Um, it makes you love movies. Uh, I think it's something that, you know, it's one of those movies that instead of I think it kind of sets your imagination free when you watch it. And as we said, I mean, I think that there is also this kind of um, when you study film, right, there's almost this I don't I don't want to say stigma, but that's the best word I can think of that that in some way, you know, science fiction or action movies are kind of a lower quality form of filmmaking. And I think that this as with many of Cameron's other films. You watch this and you just have to think that that's completely untrue because, you know, this is a master at work and, and you know. On top of it, he was incredibly successful financially making the movie, and what's better than that, right? Well said. Well, that does it for our episode of Total Rewind this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate you listening and hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your lists. Make sure you hit us up on social media. Yeah, you can follow the show at Film Comp Podcast or Filmmakers Compass Podcast on Facebook, YouTube, anywhere else you can find us. And then you can follow me at Big, Big Kid D-Man. And, Chris, and you can follow me at NDCal5. And be sure to uh, continue the conversations and let us know what you think. And go see Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, go see it again. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs>